Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello, thank you for joining us for the Friday, May 5th, 2023 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, tips to prevent the deadliest form of skin cancer from CBS News and the five-word phrase to say no with confidence from Inc. Magazine. Plus, is tofu healthy from the New York Times and more time permitting. Here's our first report. Tips to prevent the deadliest form of skin cancer from CBS News. As the summer approaches and we spend more time in the sun, skin cancer is also on the rise, making it more important than ever to protect yourself. Melanoma causes more than 8,000 deaths per year, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Dr. Elizabeth Hale, Associate Professor of Dermatology at NYU Langone and Senior Vice President of the Skin Cancer Foundation, says skin cancer is increasing among all Americans, including specific rises in men and people of color. It's thought that about one in five Americans will develop skin cancer by age 70, she says. We know that melanoma is most common in men, and they actually have the highest mortality rate. It's thought perhaps men aren't as good about wearing sunscreen, about seeing a dermatologist, and men often tend to get melanoma on their back, where it tends to be most deadly, she says. Dr. Maril Kabarian-Skelsey, dermatologist and director of the Dermatologic Surgery Center of Washington, says for people with darker skin, melanoma can be diagnosed often very late, adding it's sometimes found in areas that are not very often sun-exposed. The good news? It's treatable if caught early. Skin cancer is almost always curable when it's caught early, so it's really important to protect ourselves and get checked, because early detection is key, Hale says. How to prevent melanoma and skin cancer. The American Academy of Dermatology says the best prevention is wearing sunscreen and sun protective clothing and watching for changes to your skin. If you have a spot on your skin that has looked the same your whole life and suddenly the edges might look different or the color changes if the size changes, that's an important factor, Skelsey says. Hale says it's recommended that every American above age 18 gets an annual skin examination. The thing that's unique about skin cancer, it's so common, but it's also so preventable, she says, adding about 90% of skin cancers are associated with sun exposure, which makes protection important. We recommend a broad-spectrum SPF 30 or higher, and it's important to think about sunscreen every single day. It's not just enough when going to the beach or pool, because we know that some damage is cumulative, says Hale. When you're outside, you want to reapply every two hours, even more if you're sweating or swimming. Getting people to wear sunscreen every day is the real goal, she says. Up next, emotionally intelligent people use this brilliant five-word phrase to say no with confidence and stop talking. Reduce stress and anxiety in yourself and others by learning how to say no without over-explaining. By Justin Bariso from Inc.com. I have a confession to make. I'm a chronic over-explainer. 
Maybe you can relate. Have you ever replied like this? In an email. Sorry for the delayed reply. It's been completely crazy. When someone tries to sell you something. Sorry I can't purchase your service right now. I really like it, but we just don't have the budget because we've already purchased. When you can't accept an invitation. Sorry I can't make it. I have a very early appointment the next morning. If you have, chances are you're an over-explainer too. Over-explainers often have good intention. You may be a high-empathy person. That's a strength, but it can also be a weakness. So you worry a lot about how others think and feel. The problem is, over-explaining kills your confidence. Additionally, you may actually add anxiety to the other person who feels the need to assuage your feelings. But why do you over-explain? And how can you break out of it and become more confident? Psychologist and best-selling author Dr. Nicole LaPera recently shared a brilliant five-word formula for breaking this nasty habit, and it goes like this. Appreciation plus the no plus well wishes. Why is this formula so effective? To help answer that question, let's use emotional intelligence, the ability to understand and manage emotions to help us understand exactly why we tend to over-explain. Then we'll see how and why this phrase is so effective at stopping it. Why you over-explain. So why do we over-explain in the first place? LaPera dived into this topic in a recent Twitter thread. Over-explaining is a habit response where we attempt to rid ourselves of guilt or anxiety by providing a right answer to someone, says LaPera. The root of over-explaining comes from patterns of fawning or people-pleasing. Many of us believe in order to say no or to not do something, we need to provide a reasoning that won't disappoint or upset others, she says. When over-explaining, you might notice it feels like you're out of control and can't stop talking, LaPera further explains. This is because of the nervous system and the messaging it's getting that saying no is a threat or danger, she says. The truth, though, is that most adults are capable of hearing no. Best-case scenario, they don't think twice about it. And worst-case, they are disappointed for a short time and then they get over it. Even more important, saying no in certain circumstances is an important part of learning to respect our own limits and boundaries. Of course, for some relationships or situations, we owe an explanation. As a business owner, you may need to provide context to certain clients or partners, at least at times, lest you risk damaging your relationship with them. How to say no and stop talking. So how do you break the nasty habit of over-explaining? You practice, says LaPera, over and over again until our nervous system adapts and our window of stress tolerance gets wider and wider, she says. With practice, we'll learn that people actually appreciate short, concise answers, and confidence in saying no actually creates respect between people, she says. Which brings us back to that brilliant five-word formula. Appreciation plus the no plus well wishes. Here's how it works. Thank you so much for thinking of me. That's the appreciation. I actually don't have time in my schedule right now. That's the no. I know it will be a great event. That's the well wishes. Thanks for sharing what you're up to. Appreciation. Right now I'm not in the market for this product. The no. I wish you the best with this. That's the well wishes. 
I love that you're passionate about this. Appreciation. I won't be able to make it. The no. Let me know how it goes, though. I know you'll crush it. Well wishes. LaPera shares a final tip. If you're a chronic over-explainer, you'll notice a pull to make the no-sentence long-winded, she says. Practice keeping this super short and not providing an excuse beyond what is actually true. For example, I don't have time in my schedule right now. So the next time you're tempted to over-explain, remember the formula. The appreciation plus the no plus well wishes. Doing so will lift the burden of defending your choices and give you the freedom to actually enjoy them. Up next, is tofu good for you? Concerns about soy foods like tofu have been raised in the past. Here's what the research and experts say. By Alice Callahan from the New York Times. This is in question and answer format. Question. I've heard conflicting stories about tofu. It's either a great source of protein or loaded with estrogen and therefore unhealthy. Which is true? Answer. If tofu and other soy foods were interviewing for a spot in your weekly meal rotation, they would offer an impressive resume of nutrition credentials. A three-ounce serving of tofu, for instance, can provide between 4 and 14 grams of protein, depending on the style, including all nine of the essential amino acids. It also supplies B vitamins, healthy unsaturated fatty acids, and minerals like calcium, magnesium, zinc, and iron, said Amy Braganini, a dietitian and a spokeswoman for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Yet soy foods are also burdened by an unsavory reputation. Ms. Braganini's clients, for instance, routinely ask if soy foods are linked with cancer, a concern stemming from their relatively high levels of isoflavones, plant-based compounds that are structurally similar to the hormone estrogen. The presence of isoflavones has also led to the worry that soy might negatively affect fertility or give men more feminine characteristics. But overall, studies have shown that including soy foods in your diet is not only safe, it may also benefit your heart and metabolic health, said Dr. Chi Sun, an associate professor of nutrition and epidemiology at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And while it's true that the isoflavones in soy can weakly mimic estrogen, he added, they also seem to have anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory, and antioxidant properties. Here's what we know. Cancer. One historical worry about soy has been that its estrogen-like isoflavones might promote breast cancer. But many studies have shown that women who eat higher amounts of soy foods have no greater risk, or even a lower risk, of developing breast cancer than those who eat little or no soy, says Zhao Wushu, a professor of epidemiology at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. The protective association is strongest in studies conducted in Asian countries, she noted, where soy is commonly consumed from infancy to old age. In a study published in 2012, Dr. Xu and her colleagues found that among women in China and the United States who had been diagnosed with breast cancer, those who ate about half a serving or more of soy foods per day after their diagnoses were less likely to have a recurrence than those who ate smaller amounts. 
Before this finding, Dr. Shu said, doctors had sometimes warned breast cancer patients to avoid soy foods. Today, the American Institute for Cancer Research says that limited evidence suggests that women who eat moderate amounts of soy may be more likely to survive and perhaps have fewer recurrences of breast cancer. A moderate amount is defined as one to two servings of whole soy foods, such as tofu, soy milk, edamame, or soy nuts, per day. Some studies have also reported a protective effect of soy for prostate and lung cancers. The American Cancer Society recommends soy foods and legumes as part of a healthy, balanced diet, but says that the evidence that soy foods in particular might protect people from breast or prostate cancer is too limited to draw firm conclusions. Fertility and menopause. The concern that soy might interfere with fertility, including by affecting sperm count or quality, the ability to conceive, or testosterone or estrogen levels in men, has also not held up to the evidence, Dr. Sun said. Some small studies have found that soy can modestly reduce menopause-related hot flashes, but these results have been mixed, Ms. Braganini said. Still, she added, if you're dealing with these symptoms, it can't hurt to add a serving or two a day of whole soy foods to see if they help. Some research has also found that greater soy intake is associated with a lower risk of osteoporotic fractures in postmenopausal women. Heart health. There's some evidence that including soy in your diet can benefit your heart, Dr. Sun said. He led a study published in 2020 that found that consuming more soy isoflavones, particularly from tofu, was associated with a moderately lower risk of coronary heart disease. And in another study of nearly 120,000 healthcare professionals in the United States, Dr. Sun and his colleagues found that during the more than 30 years of follow-up, those who consumed at least one serving of tofu or soy milk per week were 15 to 16 percent less likely to die than those who ate less than one serving per month. It's almost a no-brainer that people should choose tofu and other plant-based proteins instead of animal source proteins, particularly those from processed and red meats, which are associated with a higher risk of heart disease, diabetes, colorectal cancer, and earlier death, Dr. Sun said. And he added, eating more plant-based foods can not only improve human health, but also improve the health of the globe, because protein sources like soy, beans, peas, and nuts have lower greenhouse gas footprints than meat, cheese, or eggs. How to incorporate more soy foods into your diet. As a dietitian, Ms. Braganini has found that tofu is sometimes a hard sell when she recommends it to clients. They just roll their eyes, she said, but they've never really even tried it. Tofu and tempeh, which is made from fermented soybeans, take on virtually any flavor profile and can be baked, sautéed, or simmered in a sauce, or, Ms. Braganini's favorite, crisped in an air fryer. And if those blocks of soy protein just aren't your jam, she suggested snacking on soy nuts, steaming some edamame, or making smoothies with unsweetened soy milk. Ms. Braganini encourages people to include one or two servings of soy foods in their daily diet, but she cautioned against using isoflavone supplements, which can contain far greater amounts of the compounds than are found in foods. And as with all supplements, they are not well regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. 
If a little is good, a lot is not necessarily better, she said. Up next, do all mammals hiccup? The longest case of hiccups was 68 years. From interestingfacts.com. No one likes hiccups. Luckily, these involuntary spasmodic interruptions usually last only a few minutes. On rare occasions, hiccups persist for a few days, and even more rarely still, they persist for longer than a month, in which case they can be considered intractable. Then there's the strange case of Charles Osborne, who was afflicted with a continuous case of hiccups for 68 years, recognized by Guinness World Records as the longest case of hiccups in history. Osborne's story began with an accident on June 13, 1922, in which he accidentally slipped and fell. His doctor later said he popped a blood vessel in his brain the size of a pin and theorized that Osborne must have damaged the incredibly small area of the brain that controls and inhibits hiccups. Osborne's diaphragm spasmed 20 to 40 times a minute on average during his waking hours, meaning he hiccuped roughly 430 million times throughout his life. To cope with this never-before-seen disorder, Osborne learned breathing techniques that effectively masked his constant hiccuping. Later in life, Osborne appeared in magazines and on late-night television shows to talk about his ailment. In 1978, Osborne told the Associated Press that he'd give everything I got in the world if I could get rid of them. Although he traveled the world in search of a cure, even offering $10,000 to anyone who could find one, the best he could do was cope with the affliction. Finally, in 1990, his diaphragm suddenly ended its 68-year-long spasmodic episode on its own. Sadly, Osborne died less than a year later, but he was at least able to experience the final days of his life, sans hiccups. Scientists aren't exactly sure why we hiccup. For something so ubiquitous, it's surprising that we still can't explain why hiccups exist. Scientists note that they do exist for a reason, because a hiccup is not simply a twitch of the muscles, but a complex motor act designed to do something. Although we still don't know for sure what that something is, scientists have a few ideas. One of the most astounding hypotheses is that hiccups are a genetic holdover from way back, like when we had gills way back. Some scientists have argued that hiccuping could be an evolutionary leftover from when we had a need for gill ventilation. Other ideas suggest that hiccups are a way that infants learn how to regulate their breathing, which for some reason persists into adulthood. This seems to support other evidence that humans tend to hiccup less as they age. Other theories suggest that hiccups could be a method for clearing food stuck in the esophagus. For now, the humble hiccup remains a perplexing biological mystery. And by the way, most, if not all, air-breathing mammals suffer the same periodic annoyance of hiccups. However, scientists have not observed hiccups in reptiles, amphibians, or birds. And here's some more details about hiccups, because you can never have enough info about hiccups. In 1788, the modern spelling of hiccup was first recorded. The word itself appeared around the 1570s. 
The estimated number of hospital admissions for hiccups every year in the U.S. is 4,000. The number of days of continuous hiccups after which a case is considered persistent is two. And the earliest in weeks that doctors have detected hiccups in human fetuses, eight weeks. So there you go. All you needed to know about hiccups. Up next, tips for tracking your health. How your smartwatch, phone, or fitness tracker can help. From Consumer Reports on Health. If you recently picked up a fitness tracker or smartwatch or have a newer smartphone, you may be curious about the growing list of features they have, many that seem to offer the promise of better health. So what can you do with all your devices now? And how useful or accurate is the info that features like step counters, sleep trackers, and heart rate monitoring provide? The Consumer Reports experts who test and write about these devices give you the lowdown. Number one count your steps. A smartphone, smartwatch, or fitness tracker can tell you whether you're generally hitting your step goals, though our tests show they don't count every step perfectly. A plus, people may walk more when they're wearing a step counter. Number two, monitor your Z's. Some trackers and smartwatches, if worn all night, calculate how long you sleep and estimate your time in different sleep stages. Worthwhile? Research is inconclusive, but if it inspires you to improve your sleep habits, you may want to try it. Number three, get help if you fall. This feature, found on many smartwatches, notifies emergency contacts or services if you fall, a benefit if you can't summon help yourself. Note, you need to be near your phone or have a watch with cellular capability. Number four, keep an eye on your heart. Smartwatches and fitness trackers are pretty good at tracking your heart rate over time. This can be handy as a measure of your fitness to see whether your resting heart rate has gone down in the months since you upped your walking time, for example. These devices can also warn if your heart rate is lower or higher than normal and detect signs of atrial fibrillation. Some smartwatches can do an electrocardiogram. Number five, work through stress. Many smartwatch and fitness tracker makers have started to include apps meant to ease stress. For instance, a lot now offer simple guided breathing exercises. This can help you take quick, calming breathers during busy days, and many devices can even remind you to do so. Number six, stay active. If you and your friends have the same device, say a Fitbit, you can share exercise info like how much you walked with each other. This can make even solo workouts feel social and motivate you to work out. Many devices also remind you to move around a bit if you've been sedentary for too long. Number seven, protect your hearing. The Apple Watch's noise monitoring app lets you know whether your surroundings are too loud. With other smart watches, you can download a third-party app. This might be beneficial in noisy places like sports arenas. Many smartphones can also warn you if the volume on your headphones or earbuds is loud enough to damage your hearing. Up next, diet tweaks to help you avoid diabetes from Consumer Reports on Health.
In one recent study, people who ate approximately four cups of veggies, like broccoli, kale, and cauliflower, plus a small salad daily, had a 21% lower diabetes risk than those who ate only about one cup daily. In another study, people who ate the most nitrites, which are in processed meats like ham and sausage, had a 53% higher diabetes risk than those who ate no nitrites. And the source is the journal Diabetes Care Online. Up next, can yoga lower your blood pressure from Consumer Reports on Health? Yoga may help your heart in several ways, according to a Canadian study of 60 people in their 50s to 70s who all had high blood pressure. The researchers found that adding the mind-body practice to an aerobic exercise routine for three months reduced blood pressure by 8 to 11 points for the participants. It also cut their 10-year risk of heart attacks by 14%. A little was enough. Participants did 15 minutes of yoga after a half-hour exercise class five days a week. And the source is the Canadian Journal of Cardiology. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786 7777.